I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as we go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. On today's episode, Tonise Paul, Chairman and former President and CEO of Energy BBDO, joins us to discuss her irrefutable leadership insights for personal and organizational success. She shares the necessity of authenticity in determining brand values, creating and maintaining culture, and how opportunities can be embedded in crisis. Tune in to hear how she implemented change during her long-term tenure as CEO. Hi, Tonise. Good to see you. You too, Margaret. So I've known you, Tonise, for a couple of years now. For those of you listening, Tonise was my first board chair. She hired me into this role. I'm so grateful uh, to have met her and gotten that opportunity and just getting to know you personally over the last few years. And Energy BBDO was actually a client of mine, you know, when I was in market research. And of course, you were well beyond the point of being in the back room eating cold pizza and M&Ms, watching the market research. But, you know, your team was always so great and such a valuable client. And then I got to know you on this level. And so thank you for being part of our inaugural podcast. Thank you. I'm excited for the opportunity. And and uh, I'm so thrilled that uh, we discovered each other through this process of the Executives Club. It's so neat. Really, really neat. So I was going to start by noting that we're both proud University of Illinois alums, but in doing my research, I realized you had a very interesting journey to there, uh, a very nonlinear path for you know a first-generation college grad to college. So I'm just wondering if you can share a little bit of that story and your journey and how that formed you. Sure. I, I feel like I need to say ILL. <laughs> ILL. <laughs> there we go. Now I feel better. But I, yes, I did not start uh, at uh, college at Illinois. And in fact, um, when I reflect on this period of my life, I get very emotional because there are people who influenced me so profoundly at that moment of making that decision about, and in my case, it was if and then where to go, um, uh, because it could have gone very differently. But I, um, I, my, my best and now oldest friend was a very big influence on me. She had had an older brother who had gone to, to college. My parents were very supportive, but they weren't insistent because this was uncharted territory for our family. So, you know, Basically, I followed her lead, and I made my my way to a small liberal arts school in Minnesota. But then the other pivotal players were these two married psychology professors that I worked for. I was a uh, well, it, it was the first half of my sophomore year, and I was working my way through school. So they got to know me, and they sat me down and. He's like, what is this about? You know, I thought I'd done something wrong. And they said, it's when you go home for your holiday break, you you need to look for another school. I said, well, my goodness, what? And they said, it's time for you to go to the big U. And they encouraged me. They said, to reach your potential, you need a more diverse and challenging environment. So I, I, I went home for the holiday break and found the University of Illinois and went there as a junior and... Um, got two degrees, you know, bronze tablet and got my dream job. But it would not have happened. It would not have happened without that collection of people. So very, very grateful um, for those, the influence that they had on me. Yeah. 
Isn't that incredible? I've been reflecting a lot lately just on all the untapped potential of the previous generations, right? Like so much has changed in the last few decades. And just think about what our parents, grandparents, you know, were capable of, but there just wasn't the opportunity. And they did, you know, the best job that they could in the roles that they have. And you've shared that about your own childhood and that your mother had such a clear leadership position in the home. Mm-hmm. And so um, I know you have a lot of great memories. You've shared a few of them with me. Is there one in particular that you'd like to share just about the leadership lessons you learned from your mom? Well, yes, my mom didn't have, she w- had a traditional role in the family. Uh, she she did go into the workforce once I was in middle school, but early on, but she was a absolute leader of our our family. And I think there's one story that it affected me so professionally, but I would talk to my mom on my way to work every single day. And when, uh, so she was my consigliari, if you will. She just had superb judgment. And I think leaders have superb judgment. It's about getting the information, sorting it through and coming to a conclusion. And she was so good at that. So I could just talk out loud. So one day I was talking out loud. It was you know, we were in the uh, having a a global <laughs> um, meltdown, which was the dot com bust, and it was an external factor impacting my business. And I made the comment to her. I was describing this uh, pressures our business was facing, and I said, "Take me out back and shoot me." <laughs> and she said, "Really? I would have thought." you would look at this as an opportunity to lead. And it was just such an epiphany for me, you know, that of course, this is this is my job. This is the job description. This is when you step up and where you, you know, help the organization see the way out of the woods, if you will. But it, you know, took my mom saying that to me in her removed view. And I think that there's a lesson in that too for all of us, sometimes stepping back because that's she had the benefit of being able to mm-hmm. um, not be in the throes of it and to be able to just see very clearly. And I think, you know, that's what good leaders do. And that's what I've tried to consistently do, you know, to step back a little bit so that you can actually connect the dots and see what's missing possibly. And I was definitely missing that this was my opportunity to step up and, you know, and show people how we could sort through this challenge. And what a way to say it, right? Like so lovingly and like, you're just exactly. like, okay. <laughs> From another person, it might have seemed like sarcasm, but it wasn't. It was genuine, you know? Right. <laughs> True curiosity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so you are currently the chairwoman at Energy BBDO. Prior to that, you were the CEO and the agency grew tremendously under your leadership. You have so much to be proud of. So when you first took over as president and CEO... What was the most surprising part of the job? Was there a part that maybe you weren't as prepared for as you would have thought, or once you got into it, thought, wow, this is this is different, this is big? The most surprising and difficult uh, thing then, and honestly, it remains so over time, was creating and preserving the culture. You now, as the CEO, you know your job's about driving growth. <laughs> mm-hmm. Those things, yeah, they're hard, but they're obvious. I didn't realize that as the CEO, you're the beacon of the culture. So you're, and culture is a complex thing. 
So there's been so much written over time now about culture, but it's this grand amalgamation of so many things from the people you have to the traditions, the way you communicate and, and upholding them and keeping consistent about them is, is a very great challenge. So, um, but it's also been, I would say the greatest joy because once you get the culture, right. Um, the organization is just, you know, operates on all gears, but you need everybody to embrace the culture and contribute to it to make that happen. So it's a, it's a job that's never done. You've built such a tremendous culture. Anyone who walks in your office, you just feel it. You know, you just, you just know the kind of place that you've stepped into. Um, how long did that take to get it to where it is today? The whole time. <laughs> I think it's like, <laughs> right? It's always like right. like we humans, organizations are works in progress. So I think, you know, you start with something and then you just keep building and building and building. Um, I do think for us, one of the most defining factors in our culture are our values. And working to really clarify and codify, not what you want them to be, what you want to put on the wall, but who you actually are and who you are when you're at your best is a really important part of that. And then, uh, so I, I do think, you know, that does take some time, but for us, the way we did that was by looking at who our best people were what do we look like when we are our best? And then saying, well, those are the values. Those are the behaviors. And that isn't even the hard part. I think the truly the most difficult part is living them consistently. So, you know, using them to be the basis upon which you attract new people, using them as the basis upon which you evaluate your people so that you're truly applying them every day. And then it builds, then it starts to build over time, but um, it's, it's a, it's a process. So when I was doing the research, we found a keynote that you recently gave that was just so good. And so I wanted to orient some of these questions around what you did in your keynote, because I suspect as a keynote, you probably spent a lot of time reflecting on all of this um, and really preparing for it. And so you outlined in that keynote, these irrefutable leadership insights is what you call them that are going to propel both you and your business. So I'd love to just walk through some of them with our listeners. Can we do that? Sure, sure. So I want to start with um, this first insight. Only when you listen, can you lead? And so I have a two-part question. Were you always a good listener? And then how did you learn this? Okay. So it's, were you always a good listener makes me smile because you are <laughs> literally talking to someone who had tape put on her mouth in second grade. So um, <laughs> I think most humans struggle with this, but people like me who really like to talk, I think struggle with it more. So no, I was not always a good listener. Um, in fact, as an early leader of our organization, I had a secret acronym that I gave myself, which was S-U-A-L. And I had an acronym because it was sort of rude. It was shut up and listen. <laughs> that was my, I would literally wow. put that yeah. acronym in my head. And um, But what really taught it to me and how I learned it 
was, you know, this, what this sense you have of when you're at your best and when you're at your, your worst for me, this is what defines it. When I had big years, I found that my people would actually give me the answers. I mean, if your job is to enable the performance and satisfaction of your people, how are you able to do that without listening to them? And and so I would find when I listened that I understood their needs and their wants and their barriers, et cetera. Conversely, when I didn't, I missed things. And the feeling of what happens when you don't listen and you miss things that could make people do their best, and as their leader, you didn't hear it, um, you know, really snapped me out of it. And I, I think there's one other point I would make here, which is, you know, only when you listen can you lead. People can't actually hear until they're heard. <laughs> So that's another really important thing. People need to feel that you care about um, them and their situation. And once you show that and you do genuinely listen, then they're able to, you can offer your perspective back. Yeah. I mean, this is just a lesson for life, right? I think a lot of like the Gottman relationship counseling and stuff, right? Like you have to be heard. And otherwise you spend the whole conversation like, yeah, but, but, you know, and then it's not until someone parrots back to you, I heard you, you know, then you can finally let your guard down and like move forward. But until then, so this is, I mean, these are leadership lessons for life, right? Like relationships, organizations, everything. There's this other great insight and it so embodies your organization and culture. People who are energized energize others. And energy is literally in your name. And I know that that's quite intentional. And as I said before, you feel it everywhere when you walk into your office. So my question on this is how did energy become such an important part, both of your brand identity and also your leadership guidepost? So how it, the origin of it was like all great brands, it was born of a truth. A client observed to us that working with us, and the quote was, was like being plugged into an energy source. And this was such a great expression of the benefit he felt to his team and to his business um, that we really wanted to embrace it. And so, I mean, you should always build from a truth, right? So the the um, the notion of energized people, energized brands was the way we embraced it. And ultimately, we um, embraced it so much, we, we named ourselves for it. But this notion that if we can energize our people as a professional services firm, they'll energize our client partnerships. And then together, we'll energize um, consumers and our brands. So that's this valuable energy chain reaction that exists. So we more or less got there intuitively. But meanwhile, you know, Harvard professors are studying this and codifying it. And um, there's a great book called The Service Profit Chain. And, and it is literally when you create a really healthy, positive, energized environment in a professional services firm, um, it is associated and proven over time to build long-term profitability. 
because it builds long-term client relationships. So it it started out as an instinct and a behavior, and it it's turned into a business model and a philosophy. You were way ahead of your time on that because we're hearing about that now, like take care of your people first, and then they will take care of your customers. But that's only, I'd say, in the last five years become part of this general leadership insight, and you were way ahead of the curve on that. You knew that early on. I've been struck by a number of the folks we've been talking to. I feel like a lot of the best leaders, they have an inner spiritual life that isn't always apparent to the outside world because it's not the thing that you think talk about necessarily as a leader. And I know that you personally are a very spiritual person and your faith is really important to you. And as I was reflecting on this insight, it occurred to me that faith and spirituality are also an energy, right? Yes. And so I'm wondering how that has helped you as a leader. Well, it's helped me <laughs> immeasurably because it's it's just such an integral part of who I am. It's almost hard to address, but do I think my faith is integral to my personal positive energy that I put into the world? I absolutely do. I also hope that I lead with love and that that's a source of energy for other people. I, I hope it just like comes out of my pores, but you know, for me, it is, um, it is a part of my faith and my belief system. And, um, you know, I hope it shows in the best possible way. This is so striking. You're the second person that has said to me to lead with love. Could you imagine we'd be having this conversation five years ago? I mean, maybe, yeah. I know you would have personally, but the fact that this is now part of the lexicon of some of the most iconic leaders leading with love is just incredible to me. I think I'm just really excited about where this is all going. Imagine, right? And, you know, you talk about lessons from business for life, but if we were, if we really, really did approach life as though it's about others and how you make them feel. Boy, this would be a, a really good place to live, this place we call Earth, you know, so and certainly the business world. Mm -hmm. I want to live there. Yes. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Sure Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shure microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. So you already alluded to this other insight, but I want to get into it a little bit more. So um, the way it's articulated in this one is shared values equal shared value right? And that it all goes back to values. And again, I think you probably have the best brand values out of any I've seen. No surprise. This is what you do for a living for your clients. You're known for this. So I want to just review some of them because um, they're just so good. So here are your brand values. Be a positive force. We, not me. Do the right thing. Be a radiator, not a drain. I love that metaphor, right? You could just see it. Hand raisers, not finger pointers. What's possible thinking and seeking out different. 
I mean, these are so good. A lot of times you see brand values, it's like integrity, you know, excellence. I mean, and like, what do those words even mean? And like, I read through this list and who doesn't want to say yes to all of this? Like, these are just the people that we want in our lives. And so, you know, I'd asked how long did it take you to, to get here? And I think your answer was, we're, we're still going, you know, it, you're never fully there. Um, but thinking about this process, you know, when you walk your clients through this, what is someone who's reflecting on this for their own business? Like we got to rethink our values. What's sort of your one nugget of advice or insight for them as they're embarking on this journey? Well, I did say this. I'm, I will restate it because I, I do think your values have to be authentic for you. And I've looked at a lot of, I mean, all of our clients have uh, various um, value systems. They're not, they're not always the same. This may seem like what you want to sign up for. And I love you for that. And I'm not surprised, but they aren't for everybody. They aren't for everybody. But the way I, I think it's the way to get there is to really look at yourself when you are at your best and also know who you don't Mm want to be. You know, our business historically People were not necessarily, it's a creative business, very, very hard. Um, and it's very subjective. So people were not always nice to each other. You know, there's a, there's could be a lot of negative energy in a situation like that. So what we saw, though, when we were at our best was our people, those people were positive forces. They were what's possible thinkers. They were Tiggers, not Eeyores. <laughs> They're like radiators, not trains. And I think that's when you can codify. You could say, all right, that's us. That's us on our best day. Let's go get more people like that and let's hold our feet to the fire. And that truly, truly is the the hardest part. I will say another interesting thing about values is also we, we defined who was for us from a client standpoint too. So how do you define, mm-hmm. you know, the, the common values that you want to share with um, with the people you do business with? And of course, these things we do share with our clients because we're saying, if you like these things, you're going to like us a lot. Um, but we came up we came up with this um, notion of being for ambitious brand builders, and that has helped us know, you know, who to you know, who's going to make a valuable partner for us and for whom are we going to make a valuable partner? So I I think it's um, when you can get that aligned, it really can be so mutually rewarding emotionally and, and in everyday life and financially and all of those good things. But you've got to align here first, I think. I can really relate to that and went through something similar at our last company. And it can be scary for people, especially in the growth phase, because you don't want to turn anyone down, right? Like we'll take all of the clients, any client, all the projects, right? Like it's all revenue. And um, to get to this point, it may seem scary, but then it's just such a better ride, right? And then it, it, it attracts, you know, who you actually want and you don't have to be sifting through these things. I'm just curious, you know, not asking to name names or anything, but has there ever been a client or a project that you said no to because you felt like, ah, oh, this just is not, it's not going to be a great marriage? 
Well, it's interesting, but in my first 90 days of being the CEO of our agency, I I had to fire a client. <laughs> and it, it was a 10-year relationship, but mm-hmm. it wasn't a very productive or mutually rewarding so I said, well, I'm going to give it 90 days. Maybe it's all, you know, maybe it's us. And maybe there's things we could do differently that we could all yield more from this partnership. So I went to see the client and I said, let's give it 90. Let's, let's mutually evaluate the situation. And 90 days later, first big move as CEO, went back and saw that client and said, it's really not good. And I will tell you, the organization, I think it was a very big thing for the organization though, because it sort of unlocked, unlocked us. Cause you, it's taking a stand on who's for who you're for and who you're not for. You're not for everybody. You're not going to be a great, perfect right. partner fit for everybody. So yeah, it's um, right. Uh, and to have that from the top, such uh, so important, right? Cause you're compu- communicating to your team. I am living this. It's not just revenue at all costs. Like this, this matters. Not a lot of CEOs would have done that, especially in the first 90 days, right? So insight, this next one, and again, this is so embodied of uh, energy BBDO, the work, the work, the work, (laughs) the work, the work, the work, the work. Anyone who knows you knows this is what you're all about, that in the absence of great work, none of these platitudes matter, right? Great culture and the values and all this stuff, but really, you know, what is the work? And the number of awards that your agency has received for its work could fill this whole podcast if I listed them all off. So we won't, but it's just incredibly impressive. How long or, or how, I'm wondering, did you get to this right balance of, yes, it's about the values. Yes, it's about the service. And it's ultimately about the work. Again, just advice and insights you have for people that are navigating this right now, right? They're in the swirl. They're not sure they have it right it seems like a lot to do at once, right? And how do you get all of these parts of the train kind of on the track and going in the right direction? And there may not be an easy answer, but if you have any little bit of wisdom for people. Well, the learning I would take away from from this is about consistency. The work, the work, the work is our BBDO global mantra and has been for 20 some years was my first worldwide board meeting where that was put on the um, the the table for alignment and the agency's consistent focus on that one thing has led to excellence so i think what you have when you commit to who you want to be as a business and what you want to be best at if you can arrive at that and stay there, you really have a shot <laughs> at being the best at it. A lot of businesses, a lot of brands change every couple of years. No, wait, you know, let's be that. No, wait, let's. There's a lot of variability. New people come in, new directions. So putting a stake in the ground, first of all, this is the ultimately the most difficult stake because it says that you. <laughs> you know, you're going to make excellence and be, you know, the 
the best and be that consistently. That is very, very hard to do. But the only way the agency could ever do such a thing is with that consistency and sort of a obsessive focus on it. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I do know from the inside that um, having that sort of true beacon of a focus helps everyone know what they're getting out of bed to do every day and know and also the standard at which they have to do it. And excellence is excruciatingly difficult to, to do every day. <laughs> you know, it's it's you know, you're never completely there ever. And um but being having everyone focused on that one thing can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking as I'm hearing you speak. So how long were you CEO? 24 years. So you were really in this for the long haul, right? (laughs) And there's been a lot written on, you know, what's being lost with this new trend towards these like three to five year CEOs, right? If you're a CEO more than five years, you're ancient now, right? Like you move on next thing. And there's a lot that's been talked about, about um, what's lost there just in terms of like long-term shareholder value and stuff. But what you're talking about um, is also really important that if you're going to commit to this kind of work, right, the values, the culture, um, that this is a long-term thing. And I'm wondering if maybe this is part of why some companies are not doing this as well, because a new CEO is in, that's just not what they're not thinking about. How am I going to build this culture of this organization over the next decade? It's, you know, what can I do in the next three to five years? And so I'm wondering what's being lost. Yeah, there's a a lot written out there over the past, well, since 2007, 2008, when the, you know, our economy was um, uh, so terribly impacted across the globe that there has been, you know, what's been called short-termism, a focus on just getting through the next quarter. And it, you know, that's understandable, but continuity of leadership can make a a very, um, I think, a very great difference. And that's true even at the, um, we always say at the brand leader level, you know, not just the CEO of the organization, but but people stewarding brands, right? Where you have some continuity over time, it, it really does help so you can build, you know, build values and build strength over time and be consistent and stand for something and get recognized for standing for it. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is something I'm going to reflect on a little bit more, I think. You have another insight about being bold, that bold ambitions will always propel you further. I think this is a great Chicago quote, right? Daniel Burnham, make no small plans. This is a Chicago CEO podcast, so that's really (laughs) appropriate. Um, You've shared one bold move already with this one client in your first 90 days, but I'm curious what would you say is the boldest move you made in your career? Well, from a career standpoint, I actually think it's what we just talked about. Um, It's what I didn't do. After making one move from Leo Burnett to BBDO when I was 23 years old, I committed to staying with one company for my entire career. And, and, it's interesting what you were referring to before. It's not a popular move. It doesn't make you look, it, it, the optics of it are not great. 
And I was very aware of the optics of it. But I also saw the great benefit. And um, the truth is, conventional wisdom aside, that decision unlocked unimaginable growth and leadership opportunities for me and relationships that I will relish for my lifetime. So, um, but it wasn't, it was conscious, conscious constantly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, that that was not um, necessarily the best uh, way to play one's career. Um, So that's from a career standpoint. But I think that's really important. And for the younger leaders listening, um, that is something that's been lost too, right? So the pendulum was a little too far the other way. You went and you know worked at Sears for 35 years, you got your gold watch, and then 10 years later, you were dead. I'm not saying you know we should go yes. back that far. But yeah. I think the pendulum yeah. now, I, I think the most recent data is um, someone entering the labor force now, they're going to have an average of 11 job changes, which is mind boggling to me. Um, but there is an answer somewhere in the middle and just this idea of cultivating your own garden, right? And when think, people are thinking about purpose now too, I've been having a lot of conversations with people. I want to go find a company whose purpose I believe in to work for. And that's that's great. And in the meantime, you can live your purpose anywhere, right? You can invest in where you are. And I think a little bit of that has been lost recently too, that there's this feeling of, well, I have to change, right? And it's not popular or people look at your CV. What'd you, why were you there for 15 years? You know? Um, mm-hmm. And then there's, if I'm going to grow, I, I need to be able to hop around and move. Um, and I think it's good for employers to remember to like continue to give people those opportunities. There's so much benefit from having people stay right and grow their careers there and not feel like they have to move to go on to the next level. I think we should get some well, of that you're, back. you're hitting on something very important too, though, which is always being vigilant about creating growth opportunities. So even if you're in the same organization, the opportunities for growth can be vast. And that was certainly my, my case, but we have to make sure that happens for people. I think a lot of times people you know, they, they need oxygen. They, they feel like they can't get the growth they want and they go seeking it. So some of it's, um, uh, some of it's something we as employers have to have greater vigilance about, you know, do a better job of creating those internal growth opportunities. Yes. Agreed. Uh, this next one is really great because it speaks to the, the paradox that leaders of age are agents of change and preservation. And that's tricky, right? And so I'm wondering, is there anything that you almost risked preserving while you were changing? Yes, the the risk for, I think for anyone, when you're making major changes in an organization is you you risk the culture, the value system, the purpose, you know, are you gonna veer from the purpose? Uh, there is a great book, that I I feel it, it affected me and my leadership profoundly, and it's uh, built to last. And it it was Collins before Good to Great, and he and his uh, co co authors uh, show the yin yang and that constant tension 
between having those bold ambitions, pushing for big changes that sort of energize the organization and help it stay competitive and leap it forward, while, and they call it preserving the core, while not changing the soul of the organization. And I will say, um, we had our big bang happen for, I think for a lot of companies, Two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine ish, with the the just global transformation of technology and the yeah. economic meltdown. Right, we all had to change. And for us in our business, uh, with technology, you know, everybody having a supercomputer in their pocket, connecting consumers with brands and and how we would engage people and how we run our own business had to change, right? So you hear a lot about digital transformation. Well, we changed everything at that point in time. We integrated a lot of silos, et cetera. But because of that yin-yang from that book being so focused on it's still about the work, the work, the work. It's still about this value system. These things won't change. We'll hold on to them for dear lives, but everything else is going to, you know, the way we do anything is going to change. I, you know, I think it helped us get to the other side in a really powerful place, but, um, but it, there is a lot of risk in it if you're not uh, mindful of, of what you don't want to change. I was subject to organizational whiplash at one of the last companies I worked at. And it's the worst, it's just the the worst experience. You know, like we're going this way. Now we're going this way. Yeah. Now we're going this way. Now we're going to do this. And it's like, wait, like who's steering the ship? You know, where are we going? And just how important it is to, and right now, I mean, it has been so um, emblematic of what we're in right now that leaders have had to get their teams to trust them. I am at the helm. I may not know where we're going, but I do have a plan, you know, and um, things are happening to us, you know, these forces from the outside, and we may be changing course as we get new information and the world continues to evolve, but I'm still here and I'm at the helm and just, and trust me. And some have done that really well and some have struggled with that, you know. This next insight really spoke to me because I trust you immensely. And I read this and thought, uh oh, because <laughs> I've actually said the opposite. And so I, and then I got through it and I reflected on, like, oh, okay, I see we're, we're aligned. But so I wanted to share that experience with you when I read this. So, how is important is what, if not more? And I've said the exact opposite to young people I was mentoring many times, you know, but when I've said focus on the what, not the how. What I meant was that, you know, life is not linear. We don't know what the path is going to be, but just keep your eye on the goal, right? What's the objective? What's the goal? And be open to different ways that you can get there. It may not look exactly like what you think it's going to look. For some professions, it does, right? If you say, I want to be a, you know, practicing cardiologist, well, the path is pretty linear, you know, like you go to college, you go to med school, you get a job as a cardiologist, like it can seem pretty linear. But for many professional careers, like you don't know how you're going to get there. And I think what really hammered this home for me is I had a very long journey with infertility and I struggled with this and we ultimately got there through egg donor, surrogate, you know, adoption, all of these things that we explored. But 
I was just focused on the what. I wanted to have a family. And if I focused on the how, I want to physically carry my own biological children, well, we'd still be waiting for this family, you know, and yet I have these six-year-old boys and they're amazing. And because I just wanted a family, I didn't care how they got here. I just wanted them here. Um, And so what I think you're saying is there are some ways I could have done that though, that were not so great, you know, so you're not saying don't be open to the opportunity and the how, Um, but there are better ways where you leave things in your wake, you know, on the way to the what. And so um, I would just love to connect that a little bit more and get your insight on that. Well, first of all, I love your story so much for so many reasons. I mean, I, I, it uh, touches me. And I think there's, I, I'm in violent agreement. <laughs> first of all, <laughs> you, you had, um, you know, you had this really important what you had this bold ambition, and nothing was going to get in the way of you achieving it. And but then you were very mindful and thoughtful about your how, because you actually did consider and came to the conclusion thoughtfully that it didn't matter to you. It didn't have to happen in a particular way, that what mattered to you was that you achieved it. And so I, my, my point is that we should be as considered in thinking about how we execute our decisions as in making the decisions and um, not, not that it's not about what it absolutely is about what, but it is also about how, and you, you hinted at this a little bit about leaving people in your wake. And, you know, my, uh, this insight for me, literally, I wrote down on a piece of paper in real time one day and it's, I didn't write it down this way. This is eloquent (laughs) to say, how is as important as what, if not more? What I wrote down on a piece of paper on my desk was, it's about how stupid. (laughs) Leadership is about how stupid. uh Because I had made a, a, a right but difficult decision, but in the execution of it had, had hurt somebody and it didn't, it didn't have to have happened that way. And so I think um, it just made me very mindful that our job as leaders isn't over <laughs> when um, once we say, yep, that's the decision we're taking. There's a lot of thought to be given to um, the way we we execute. And for some people will hear this and they'll say, no kidding, of course, you know, but uh but I don't think it's that obvious sometimes. I think uh, you can pass along execution and uh, sometimes it mm-hmm. needs more stewardship. But your, your story where you, you thought through all the different hows and decided that any which way was going to be acceptable to you, you know? So that's really what, what I am getting at here. As much considered thought around the how as the what. Yeah. So I'm going to um, edit mine the next time I I share this with someone and, you know, start with (laughs) the how is as important as the the what instead of this focus on the what, not the how, because I think I've actually been misleading people a little bit in that way. And 
since you've already given us one great homework assignment, which is Jim Collins is good to great. There's another book you recommended to me that speaks to this, um, which was the power of the positive. No, you're a font of great business book recommendations, but that's another great example of this, right? So the answer is no, (laughs) but how you do that can make all the difference. Yes. Yes. That is a good one. You're so, you're so good at that. Um, again, you're an expert in communications, you know, maybe not so surprising that you are just so expert at these things, but, um, anyone who's had a chance to, to be in the light of that when you're doing it and seeing you in action is just really, really good. So we've spent a lot of time looking back and reflecting, but you're also someone who is always looking 10 steps ahead, both given your industry and just who you are as a person. And so I'm really curious, what are you seeing on the horizon that you are really intrigued by right now? What should we be paying attention to? If I pick one thing, it would be uh, AI. It would be machine learning. Mm-hmm. Because if the power of that's already here, but once we can really harness it, you could you could bring together, right, the smartest solutions and sort and sort technologically which are the things that we can do to make the biggest difference with the biggest problems. And you could take that to global problems like clean water and um, malnutrition and poverty. You can take that down to business operations. Just transformative power of being able to collect everything the world knows <laughs> and mm-hmm. analyze it and digest it. And you as an analyst, right? Yeah. I mean, think oh, it's about incredible. Right. So if we have machines helping us to do that, I feel no threat at all from that. I think it's, no. there's a, people are, people can be. I don't want to be coding my own transcripts. Are you kidding me? What I could have done with this as a young market researcher 20 years ago, you know, highlighting the keywords, patterns, like let the machine do that. And then I'll, you know, pull out the insights and tell the story. Yeah. I know. So I think that will change the world, our world, whatever business we're in, it will change it profoundly in a, a really wonderful way. So I love that you took the time to reflect on these 10 insights. So my last question, though, there are a lot of lessons here that you've learned across such an amazing career. If you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self, you know, before you're going to that little liberal arts school in Minnesota, you know, maybe you're a senior in high school, go back and tell her just one thing, what would it be? Well, despite what it may appear, I have endured debilitating confidence issues throughout my life. And with the benefit of hindsight (laughs) on the life that I've lived, I would tell myself, there is a reason people trust you. Trust yourself. Wow. That's very hard to learn. Very. Yeah. I mean, I still struggle with that. My nephew had just texted me about something and referring to the same thing. And I said, I hate to tell you, it doesn't go away. <laughs> like, at least for me personally, um, I can very much relate. Yeah. So tell her they do trust you. Try to like not take 40 years to learn it. Maybe take 20 years to learn it. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> just cut the half-life get, a little bit. Get there a little quicker. <laughs> I know. A little quicker. 
Yeah. Just all. Yeah. Well, Tonise, this has been incredible. I trust you immensely. Um, your clients trust you. Your people trust you. I mean, you've just been such an incredible civic leader, you know, business leader, thought leader, friend, you know, confidant, all of these things. Just so incredible. I'm really happy that you were able to spend this time with your family. You're now in the chair role, which, you know, we didn't get into, but it's probably just so great that you're still involved and you can now maybe start turning to some other things. And so I'm really excited to continue to be along with you on that journey. Thank you, Margaret. This is an absolute joy and no one I'd rather have this conversation with than you. So thank you so much for inviting me to, to do this with you. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org.